Hey, welcome to the Fallon Farm, folks. Uh, it's Ed Fallon with you here, Charles Goldman as well. And we're broadcasting from Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. Hey, thanks to our sponsors, including Gateway Marketing Cafe, that's Central Iowa's premier good food store, bringing together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate, personalized service. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, check out Gateway Marketing Cafe. Hey, a quick shout-out to the Des Moines Irish Sessions for our bumper music. All right, Charles, so um, we're going to talk about uh, whether Americans are mean or not. But first, mm. speaking of mean, well, okay. before we even talk about mean, this is just bad politics, in my opinion. RFK Jr., right? Mm-hmm. I mean, struggling to find a niche and actually doing not a bad job, probably better as a third-party candidate than anyone's done since Ross Perot. But then coming up with these schemes to encourage people to donate, like, hey, donate to my campaign and win a day of falconing with me. <laughs> or <laughs> or win, a, win, a, win a big ride on a sailboat up the coast of California. Is that really the kind of working class message that's going to re- appeal to people? Well, I, I, I heard that RFK Jr. also has John Kerry's uh, sailboard. Uh, <laughs> if you remember. No, I don't. What oh, happened well, with the sailboard? Talk about, you know, trying to set yourself up as a populist when he ran against oh, a right, W and right. you know the set for the second term he was caught like sailboarding on right. one of the great lakes and yeah. that didn't you know it was, the only thing worse would have been playing squash obviously <laughs> <laughs> yet somehow Tulsi Gabbard gets away with surfboarding in Hawaii well that's yeah but she's that's from a little there, bit you know? yeah but that that doesn't seem as elitist. Yeah. I think also but she, she's got a bunch of like workout tapes or workout she YouTubes. Does, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but falconing. Well, that's all aspirational, obviously, for most Americans. Right. Well, they don't work out. Oh. <laughs> all right. So yeah, anyway, falconry is not is is pretty elitist. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, I just, I don't understand why we had a, we had a candidate for governor years ago here in Iowa who insisted on when when asked by the Des Moines Register. To tell tell them something special about him, he talked about how wonderful it was for him and twelve members of his family to take a trip to Mount Kilimanjaro. <laughs> yeah. Oh, to visit where President Obama was actually born. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. That was at the base of the mountain. Yeah, Obama only called, only he was t- he was carried up to the top of the mountain by his father and held up. Held no, no, that, that was the Lion King. Never mind. I'm getting I'm getting my royalty mixed up. Yeah, right, right, right. But anyway, we were going to talk about uh, how America got mean. But first, Charles, I got to tell you, you need no longer worry about being attacked by sharks. There is a much more dangerous animal out there that needs to be occupying your concern. Well, bees. No, not bees. Yeah. Joe Biden's dog. Oh, really? Yeah. There, there's. I mean, it was it was not news that Joe Biden's dog had bitten a whole bunch of people, but right. there was new information just came out through a Freedom of, Freedom of Information Act request. Mm-hmm. Twenty five people. Really? 25 people have been bitten by this dog, Commander. Yeah. Okay, so a German Shepherd, first of all. Right. Probably Commander, bad name, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't know why this well, dog is... at least they call him Valkyrie or something. Valkyrie, well, <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't know why this dog is running loose, you know, uh, anywhere. Right. I mean, because he, he apparently he bit, what, um, Secret Service agents on their arms, hands, mm-hmm. thighs, back, wrists, elbows... And chest, and eleven of these required medical attention. What? Why did it happen to happen twenty-five times? Yeah, I don't understand that at all. I don't get it. Anyway, but even even the the, the political divisions in this country are even making dogs nastier. <laughs> you think that's it? <laughs> it must be. So so maybe maybe uh, Joe Biden's dog only bit service uh, secret service men who voted uh, Republican. Who voted Republican, probably. Yeah. yeah. Since a lot of them do. The dog could sniff him out. <laughs> Trump <laughs> voter, get him. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. It's uh, well, they could, they could, they could smell the sweat on the sweatband of the MAGA hats <laughs> that they were wearing off duty. Off duty, uh, <laughs> it was still there. Right, 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 right. So apparently, uh, Biden's uh, previous dog was named Major. Yeah. And you know what? Also a German Shepherd. It also bit people. You know, it's it's it's, it's not unusual that German Shepherds bite people. No. I mean, but part of the reason that they're implicated, I think, in the majority of Dog bites in the United States is just they're ubiquitous, yeah. you know. Dog. I mean, it, it's one of the most common species, you know, variant of dog that. But they're also you know, used for for they used to attack. Well, it's true. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, so are other dogs. Yeah, I mean, sure. Dobermans and sure. 
Rottweilers and. But there's a small universe of the dog kingdom that is used for that purpose. Yeah. If I was president, I wouldn't Pit have bulls. one of those. Pit, well, yeah, especially by drug dealers. Sure. Yeah, right, <laughs> right, right, right. But you know, but here's the good news: uh, the Bidens have since uh, purchased a cat. <laughs> well, there's, there's an animal that's not likely to bite you. No, it'll scratch your eyeballs out, but it won't bite you. Right. Anyway, so um, my, my own experience with a, with a nasty German Shepherd, when I was a kid, mm-hmm. there was a neighbors down the road who had a dog, a German Shepherd, and I'm not making this up, called King Von Schleiper. I don't even know what that means, but it's, it's horrifying. I mean, I, right. when I was a kid, I was just terrified of the name. So one, one day, me and my brothers are walking down the road, uh, to go, quote, feed the rabbits. We had carrots. We thought we'd feed rabbits. And um, and out of nowhere comes this, comes King Von Schleiper, like charging at us, and tongue out, you know. And I'm like, I, I like knew enough to stand still. I just st- stood still. I froze. It came right. up to me, sniffed, and then talked to my brother. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, who wasn't smart enough to stand still. He kept running. I mean, speaking of, of animal bite incidents, my my. My brother and my sister-in-law were hiking one time, and they were confronted by a swan. Oh, really? And the swan, you know, hustled right past my brother yeah. to bite my sister-in-law, who was like 20 feet behind him. Why, <laughs> we have no why? idea why. why. I have no Gosh. idea. Something she said? I have, I, mean, you know, I have no idea. Did she have a MAGA hat? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, she wasn't wearing a manga. All right. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so um, but I think they had gotten COVID vaccinations, so maybe it has something to do with that. Oh, the 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 uh, the, the, the swan could sense that they could were sense vaccinated, that and yeah. thought it could bite them, and everything would be okay. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. All right. Anyway, so um, moving on from mean dogs to mean people. Um, yeah, there there was an interesting article by David Brooks in the New York Times recently. Um, well, it was actually from the, it was an excerpt in the Atlantic. Oh, the Atlantic. That's right. The from Atlantic. a book that sure. he, a book that he is is, is coming out right. called "How to Know a Person: The Art of Seeing Others Deeply and Being Deeply Seen." But and also, I mean, his basic premise is America. Americans have gotten mean, and here's why. Right, and and you know he's and that's the reason I kind of sent it over to you because we started to talk about this a number of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. You know, and I thought that some of what he put forward was 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 interesting. You know, and, and it's certainly what he points out is that there are certain things that seem obvious, okay, that social media and the anonymity that the internet and social media affords, uh, you know, has allowed for, you know, these various forms where meanness is almost rewarded mm-hmm. because that's how you get a lot of attention. Within you, your peer group. Yes, yeah. right. But also, what you say gets distributed oh, yeah. to you know thousands and sometimes hundreds of thousands of people, and you know that would be something that is fairly obvious, um, along with other you know things that are somewhat unique to our time. But I, I I thought actually what was intriguing here was that one of the things that he he does talk about at some length is is the issue of people having really no compass and no moral compass anymore right he talks about the need for moral education that that always raises a red flag with me yeah no i understand that it seems very traditional but he's not talking about prayer in schools he's not talking about like the stupidity that we now have in the iowa legislature that we're going to have you know some kind of attempt at at some bill to force the Pledge of Allegiance to be said every and day. And the Star Spangled Banner. And the Star Spangled Banner, but, right. oh, but, no, but only one verse. Well, only the verse only that doesn't verse. talk about, yes, the slaves. That's correct, yeah. yeah the one that we never talk there about. There is that verse, isn't there? There is a verse, yeah. yeah. I mean, How many people know that? Well, probably very few. And and you remember, Maryland was, was although nominally a Union state. Borderline. It was very borderline. Yeah, yeah. You know, that uh, uh, Union troops were attacked in Baltimore. I mean, it was truly a border state. I mm. mean, it was never tr- really, I mean... Yes, it was in the union, but um, so I mean, I thought that element of it was was very interesting to take to task. That we're kind of at the end point of the moral relativism that kind of started in the '60s, you know. But what we've come down to, and and I think I thought that you would be somewhat in agreement with this, is it's basically as he, as he points out, it's it's left us with an, the only real measure of anybody anymore 
is consumerism. How much stuff do I have? You know, and also whatever I feel is correct, is moral. Sure, and he challenges that, but he does not challenge the consumerism. If I if he challenges that, I missed it. Um, certainly in this excerpt, it wasn't a big part of it. And David Brooks tends to be a real champion of the endless growth, you know, paradigm. And of course, central to that is buy and eat, consume, shop. Well, but I think I, I think that the, the the point that he's making is that consumerism only became so predominant because we are so devoid of an internal system of morality. And what's happened is that, and of course there'll be people out there saying, well, that's because we don't pray and that's because sure. we, don't, we don't give religion a big enough part in our, in our lives. But really, I, I, I thought when he starts talking about something that they call vulnerable narcissism, I thought that really rang true. Tell us about well, that. Well, vulnerable narcissism, unlike you know what we see every day, every morning we're subjected to because we have to hear what Trump said the night before. You know, yes, we understand <laughs> that a, there's that, malignant narcissism. That, that's I was going to say that's invulnerable narcissism. Right, right, right. right, but vulnerable narcissism is that people revere themselves as the center of the universe, right? American individualism. And that they're addicted to thinking, people are addicted to thinking about themselves. Well, that is partly a consequence of the phones, Social media. I mean, it's central to the whole concept of capitalism. Well, it's not just <laughs> capitalism. I mean, it's it's very specific to what's going on right now. And I, you know, and everyone has externalized their evaluation outside of themselves. I mean, I've seen this as a trainer of residents for thirty years in the medical profession. In the medical right. profession, that that is, you know, constantly we're having to give evaluations. Right. That's part of the new paradigm of teaching graduate students, and that's what, you know, residents are, they're graduate students, and we're constantly having to give feedback, because, again, people are kind of adrift, they can't even judge within what should be fairly obvious as to what the goal is in medicine, they need constant reassurance, and so, as, as they point out, your self-esteem is wildly in flux, and it's based on other people, hmm. and it's based on your evaluation and how you present yourself on social media, you know, and... That, I would agree, especially looking at, at, you know, younger people, that to me seems like a dead end. Because you have to internalize something hmm. by which you can guide your behavior. You know, social media certainly is, uh, is leading to the, um, the, uh, the, the, the isolation people feel from others, the lack of a sense of responsibility to, you know, to act appropriately. I mean... One of the best examples in my daily life is you walk down the street, and it's amazing how many people, even on a very, very, you know, thinly populated street, you see very little pedestrian traffic. A lot of people will just walk by you. They won't even look at you. And if you say hi, it's almost like you said something that makes them very uncomfortable, that you jar them into having to say hi or hello <laughs> or something very right. timid and sheepish, you know. And, and I think I think that's it's just, sure social media, you know. The isolation we've developed in our, in our communities, just the way we live. But it's also, it's, it's part and parcel of our whole economic model. Our economic model is about, about consuming. It's about buying, getting, having, uh, doing, you know, and, and more, you know, more than, more all the time. And look at, look at how, with, uh, with computers, it's, it's always, you're always being advertised the next best computer because it's faster, it's more powerful. We have to be able to do more with less. And, you know, and that's not a recipe for ha a happy human being. And so I, I think, you know, and again, this, this, you know, this doesn't start recently. This goes way back to how we, how we, you know, how we've set up this whole country. Expand, 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 take over, you know, cut down more forests, pave more, you know, pave more, pave more land, turn all of Iowa into corn and soybeans. And, you know, and, and at some point you've got a, you've got a system uh, that leaves true um, moral purpose out of the equation. So I, I, I'm not surprised where we're heading. How, I'm, I'm surprised maybe it took us this long to get here. Well, I, 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 that's what I would agree with. I don't think it's a I think that consumerism is a manifestation of the loss of a moral purpose. I don't think that it is the cause of it. I think consumerism allows you to keep score. 
in a similar way, <laughs> in a similar way to my residents asking constantly, tell me I'm doing okay. And so I don't see the consumerism as the cause. In the same way that in many ways Trump is just a manifestation of the meanness of, of our culture right now. And the latent racism, misogyny, and everything else that has always been part of the American psyche. So how do you how do we go? I mean, we agree that uh, America has become mean. Again, not I say that, but there's plenty of kindness in the world. There's plenty mm-hmm. of good things happening, both individually and collectively. But again, I think we'll agree that there's a, there's a sense of isolation and and loneliness. And uh, I mean, as as Brooks points out, you know, two thirds of two thirds of American households gave it to charity back in what two thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. You know, in 2018, it was it was it was half half the country. You know, and um, the the number of uh, high school students who say they are quote persistently feeling sad or hopeless, that's jumped from 26 percent in 09 up to 44 percent in 2021. Those are real concerns, uh, and they all tie in with it's not just meanness, it's isolation, it's loneliness, it's despair, and it's the frequency of suicide that comes along with that. Mm-hmm. What do we do about it, doctor? <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I, I do think that, you know, Brooks's point is well taken, which is that a moral education, which in, incorporates multiple, you know, approaches to that. Um, so it looks at not just the Abrahamic religions. It looks at, you know, Eastern religions. It looks at other ways. It look, look at Western rationalism. I mean, to me, for instance... The biggest bulwark against this notion that this was a Christian country when it was founded would be to teach people about the Enlightenment. Have them read, you know, like, have them read all those people nobody reads anymore. You know, John Stuart Mill and, and all, all, you know, Rousseau and the writers from the Enlightenment. That was, the, those were the people who drove the founding fathers, the founding male landed slaveholders. Okay. <laughs> okay, let's be clear about right. that. Yeah, I right, mean, right. that's but that's who they were reading. They weren't here to invoke some sort of, de, you know, some sort of monotheistic system. Yeah. Right, and I they get that. They believed in a de, you know, some deity, but they didn't believe it was the deity and, and, of you know, mysticism. And, and I guess what I'm saying is the fact that, that the founders were old white slave owners, property owners, uh, that that's part of the problem. That that you know you you you, you that, that that's that sets the terms it, for the decay that we now experience. Yes, but what they put together was aspirational, and and it 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 goes they tried. back. To, they tried. They tried. And in in fairness to them, you you're expecting a certain amount of racial, you know, knowledge, um, and understanding that was kind of beyond the time. I, and I agree. Yeah. And at the same time. You know, um, I, I, it, it's kind of the same thing that's been you know, kind of goes goes around, you know, in in the circles of what do you do with artists and creators that are reprehensible in their life, right? Like Picasso, you know, people like that. Sure. Right. You know, what do you do with Roman Polanski, right? You know, the director. Sure. Oh, do we negate their work because they're horrible people? I mean, that's something you have to come to grips with. Yeah. Right. You know, and and those are the kinds of things I'd rather them be talking about than some sort of, you know, dogmatic, you know, discussion about how what you're supposed to say and what you're supposed to believe. Right. And to me, I, you know, for instance, we talked about this before, like, with the, you know, teaching in schools. I have no problem if they want to teach intelligent design in schools. Right. But teach intelligent design next to an actual, you know, discussion of evolution that's scientific, right? And that's how you get to truth. That's how you get to understanding. Otherwise, everything is just, well, I read it on the internet, so it must be true because I feel like it's true, <laughs> you know? All right, yeah. hey, we got to go to a short break here. Um, I, I know you're, you're probably right now thinking about you wish you were at the, uh, at the, uh, the, uh, the uh, what's it called, the Creation Museum. I, well, well, yeah. Isn't I mean, that, I'm, I'm always up for a trip to, to the Creation Museum. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're gonna we're gonna switch gears when we come back and talk not about the Creation Museum, but about uh, the Christian majority and they're rising up uh, in places around the country uh, on the, under the guise that uh, they're being persecuted. We're having a hard time um, agreeing with that, but uh, we're certainly seeing the manifestation of that philosophy here in Iowa right now, as people are seeing elsewhere in the country. 
With you folks, uh, here Ed Fallon and Charles Goldman back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Market and Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. You're responsible for a lot, and it's easy to become overwhelmed, to feel helpless, even hopeless. What's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better. Psychiatrist Dr. David Drake helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed and his services are offered on a self-pay negotiated fee basis. If you need help, don't delay. Contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon and Charles Goldman with you. Hey, thanks to our sponsors, including Catholic Peace Ministry. That's an independent nonprofit and focused on nuclear disarmament, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, the need for diplomacy in Ukraine, and ending the permanent war economy. Learn more at catholicpeaceministry.org. Thanks also to Western Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Dr. Joel Western and his staff are fluent in English and Spanish. And the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Western Optometry. All right, so Charles, um, yeah, you, the way the way some right-wing Christians talk about it, you think that they're getting ready to be thrown to the lions. Well, or if nothing else, I mean that they're having to suffer with Happy Holidays instead instead of Merry Christmas. You know, because yeah, I mean, that, that's a happy. I, I say I say Merry Christmas whenever I want. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't care if somebody says Happy Hanukkah to me or Blessed Kwanzaa. Yeah. Or whatever and whatever. I don't. It just. Don't well, that's be, why you don't have a spot on Fox News. <laughs> you know, because on Fox yeah. News it's like clockwork. You know, somewhere around Thanksgiving we start hearing about you the know the war on Christmas. The war on Christmas. Yeah, right. Right, right. Exactly. Okay. So, um, but you know. It seems to me it's it's a way to try to build identity. We are we are conservative Christians. We're being persecuted. We need to fight back. We need to ban the books that uh, we feel make us uncomfortable. We uh, we we need to make sure that our children, even in public school, have a chance to say the Pledge of Allegiance, um, say a prayer, uh, maybe sing a version of the uh, a verse of the uh, Star Spangled Banner. Mm. And uh, you know this this is concerning. Well, I, I think it's interesting to look at the history of um, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act as indicative of kind of what's happened in the United States, because that's that's kind of what we're talking about, which is that, you know, the Republican supermajority in our legislature here in Iowa has decided that 28 years after these federal, you know, RIFRA bill was passed, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, it's now time for Iowa to pass their own version. Um, and it is true that there's 25 other states that do have state versions. And, and it is true also that RIFRA, the federal law, does not apply to the states. Well, I, I've seen it apply in terms of land use, it, where, but where, it, where, it, where it, counties will, will you know, bend over backwards to allow a church to come in because the church would argue, well, it's our religious freedom to take this 20-acre uh, parcel of farm ground and build a church. What's really happening, of course, is developers want that land. Right. And you build a church, suddenly it's easier to develop, you know, a housing development around it or to put in a gas station or something. Right. But that actually, if if that were challenged as that they were using RIFRA for that, they would not be able to depend on the, the federal law because the federal law in 1997 was deemed not to apply within states. It was federal law, it was, and that's it. But the, the thing I think we should look at is that the Religious 
Freedom Restoration Act was passed in 1993 almost unanimously within the legislature, signed by then-President Clinton. In the U.S. US Congress, the federal law. Correct. And it was ironically in response not to the tyranny of minority against the majority, which is the way it's now used. Mm -hmm. It was to protect minority religions against the tyranny of of the government or the tyranny of the majority. So in specific, it was passed in response to a Supreme Court ruling uh, which was the Employment Division of Oregon um, against, I can't remember who, who, who the plaintiffs were in this, but they were two Native Americans who had used peyote as part of the Native right. American church religious uh, activities. And when they drug tested positive for peyote, they were fired and they were denied um, unemployment benefits. Right by the state, and that decision was supported actually by the Supreme Court with St. Scalia writing, you know, the, the, the fountainhead of originalism, writing that, um, that you know, the, there was no law that really protected them from that happening. And RIFRA was, was written and passed and signed by Clinton for that purpose. The way it's become flipped around is the way they're now wanting to use it here in Iowa, even though they're saying, no, 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 we just need one because other states have it, right? Because we're already seeing how it's become flipped around. So what's happened since that time? Since that time, it's just the opposite. Now the religious freedom that's supposedly being protected is that of of the the majority or a plurality of people, which is generally Christian practice. Plurality is probably a better description. Right, right, Christian practices who now say that when they're forced to do things that are against their religious preferences, and believe me, this gets back to what we were talking about before, it's their interpretation of what that religion says, right? So, for instance, um, the case that last year's case at the Supreme Court where the woman didn't want to design... A website? A website. Yeah, yeah. And let's remember that there that was, was never a website right, right, to right. be designed. Mm, right. It was completely fabricated. Theoretic, yeah. Right. She, there was no cause for her to even be able to bring that case. She had right. no standing whatsoever. But she claimed that Colorado's anti-discrimination laws, you know, and that she was, you know, it's a public accommodation that... She had a right not to do this. It's you know it was just it was just another I don't want to bake cake for gay wedding case like you know masterpiece bakery which was you know <laughs> brought by the way by the same people the Alliance for Defending Freedom for whom Josh Hawley's wife is the lead counsel okay you know famous well known our friend from Missouri our friend from Missouri right, who right. couldn't run fast enough away from the January sixth tourists. Uh, you know, in 2021. But nevertheless, so it's been flipped around to if I am forced to go against my, I cannot be forced except under high standards of strict scrutiny, right, to be forced to go against my religious beliefs. Okay, so clearly in the 60s, that was also used as a way of not having black people be served in, in public accommodations. What's the religious argument for that? That there was, this is what the New Testament said. I mean, uh, again, all right. of this is, this is how Incredible. I interpret yeah. it. Yeah. This is how I feel, right? Or Hobby Lobby in 2014, hmm. where all of a sudden, after years and years of paying for contraception as part of their health plan, they decided that since the Affordable Care Act made them pay for contraception, they had suddenly discovered that it was against the corporation's religion because they're a private health corporation. And corporations are people too. And- well, that, that's what they claim because mm-hmm. that's exactly what's happened. We flipped it around to that now a lot of what happens in terms of individuals saying, I don't want to be part of this because it's against my religion, is that it's no longer an issue of civil rights. It's become an issue of a freedom of speech, freedom, free exercise of religion standard. And that's what RIFRA has become, to the point that the some of the same people who supported RIFRA in 1993, like Schumer and, sure. and Pelosi and all the usual Heritage Foundation targets, because they wrote an article <laughs> saying that we should you know, not follow 
the, you know, the impetus of, of people like you know, Schumer and others who want to pass a Do No Harm Act to correct what's happening, which is that there are certain things that religion doesn't allow you to, to say, I won't do this, right. including giving people medical care, mm-hmm. you know, and those sorts of things. I mean, where does that end? Uh, you know, my, my faith tells me that, uh, that, that black people are innately sinners and uh, I shouldn't have to have them in my presence I shouldn't have to serve them in my business. Um, I mean, where, how far does that go? Uh, and well, certainly you can see them you know, saying the same thing, of maybe even more emphatically, about gay people or trans people. Of course, and we already know that this is happening, hmm. right? And what, what's happening is that religious institutions are wanting a free ride here. Hmm. Because, again, go back to the 80s and the Bob Jones University decision where the federal government says, you take federal funds. You don't get to discriminate if you take federal funds because the federal law is you don't get to discriminate, mm-hmm. right? But by moving it away from that to this freedom of speech, free exercise of religion argument, this is what happens. You get situations like in Philadelphia where Catholic adoption organizations had the contract with the city of Philadelphia and they were excluding anybody who wasn't Catholic or wasn't the right gender orientation from adopting children. Okay, or you have these private schools, these private religious schools that are now, of course, funded by the state, right? Because through vouchers, these schools are taking money from taxpayers like myself and yourself. Mm-hmm. And they are, they're saying that their janitor is a minister. Right. right. And therefore, I can discriminate against that person because it's a ministerial exception to employment law, right? And so they get to say... We found out this person's gay. Hey, they're out because they're part of the ministry. All right. So this is. So where does this lead? I mean, it lead, well, the, the, it leads to exactly what what's happening, which is that we're we're increasingly looking like a theocracy. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't have to look any further than this week, right? The decision down in Alabama Supreme Court. Right? Well, which is being just pushed back by Republicans. Well, because it, they're pushing back only because. It is so politically unpopular right now that they had to do something. This is very much like what Trump is doing. Trump is all of a sudden now for a 16-week uh, ban, right? Why did he pick 16 weeks? As usual, going thoughtfully into this, he said, well, it's four months. It's an even number. You know, <laughs> I mean, there's nothing about viability. There's nothing else. But the point is, is that that decision is worrisome to a lot of people because at least the Supreme Court tries to pretend that they're a legal entity, right? They, they talk about law. Now, the law may be from the Middle Ages, but nevertheless, I mean, it may predate the United States or the colonies, but it's still something that seems legalistic. But I mean, the, the, the Supreme Court justice, this, the chief of the Supreme Court in Alabama, actually wrote about, this is the reason that IVF is problematic is because these are these are extra uterine children. And then he quoted not science, not the law of the United States or the law of Alabama. Well, he did. He did quote there, there was a referendum about this in terms of unborn children. Um, but then he quoted the Old Testament. The ultimate foundation the ultimate for scientific the uh, foundation. US Constitution. Although he picked, and then, of course, parts of the New Testament, you know, where I knew you in the womb and stuff with Jeremiah. Um, that's okay. Yeah. Well, but yes, I understand that there's a lot of interpretation about that statement, which was that he knew that God, he, I'm sorry, I, I don't want to say he because I don't believe God has sex, but well, I don't believe in God anyway. But nevertheless, whatever the entity is, the deity is, um, that he was that this deity was saying that Jer- I knew you with Jeremiah sure. would be a prophet. Not I knew you in your womb because you were alive in your womb. Because actually by the Old Testament, you were not alive in the right. womb. Right? First breath. Right, first yeah. breath. Yeah. And yeah. so that seems to be ignored when they quote the Old Testament. So again, I'm back to you. You, you, say, you're already, you say we're already fairly far along in terms of establishing this theocracy. Absolutely. I mean, so look, at, it, look at the decisions that are coming down. Okay, so where does it go? I mean, it just gets worse. And what's going to stop it from getting worse? Um, this talk the, show, what else? <laughs> I mean, I, the end of the MAGA movement, obviously. 
because the the MAGA movement has hitched its wagon to those who would see theocracy as fine because they figure that is another way of reestablishing their God-given right to be white supremacists. So I mean, you, when you you're talking about you, going back to the 50s, that's you think, what you're talking about. Do you about. think white supremacy ties in with, with, the, uh, with, with the establishment of Christian theocracy? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. They're, I, I'd say at this point they're inseparable. Yeah, and you know, and again, you think the the, the the so what you're saying is that the 1950s was actually closer to a theocracy than say the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Yeah, well, I think particularly the 60s was and the 70s were a huge reaction against those sorts of norms, hmm. you know, and said that the that the commons, the civic law, takes precedence um, because for too long, you know, the the there were elements of theocracy that were using that to say this is the order that God has ordained, you know. And that's why there's bathrooms for, you know, separate bathrooms for colored people and separate schools for colored people. Just as there were in the Bible. Well, there's nothing, <laughs> I'm kidding, there's nothing I'm in the Bible. Yeah, right, there's nothing in the Bible that says that. Yeah. Hey, we've got to run to a short break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to be talking about uh, the Super Bowl. And not in any kind of a sports announcer kind of way, but uh, looking at some of the ads and some of the corporate interests and, and kind of what's going on there. But uh, we, I did want to touch briefly on COVID when we come back. And uh, as we go out, I'll leave you with this tune. Obama was a traitor. America, he hated. He belonged inside the jails. Him with the Wuhan flu. Let's hear it. Dr. Fauci, what we gonna do? Years ago, Chef George Fromaro envisioned a new market to house all his favorite foods under one roof in the heart of Des Moines. From that vision, Gateway Market was born. Over the years, Gateway has become Central Iowa's premier good food store, bringing together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate, personalized service. Gateway's welcoming environment in downtown's Sherman Hill neighborhood encourages discovery and honors the simple pleasures of the table. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, experience the good food difference at Gateway Marketing Cafe. Catholic Peace Ministry was founded in 1980 to work for peace and justice. It's an independent nonprofit with no ties to the Des Moines Catholic Diocese and is guided by an ecumenical board representing many faith traditions. CPM focuses on the urgency of nuclear disarmament and the need for diplomacy in Ukraine. CPM also provides an educational forum about the permanent war economy, which must be challenged if we are to achieve lasting peace and justice. Learn more at catholicpeaceministry.org. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Western Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Hey, thanks to Architecture by Synthesis, one of our partners and co-sponsors. Owner Mark Klipsham asks that you use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. 
Examples of Mark's work can be found at architecturebiosynthesis.com. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. Learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page. All right, so um, we're going to talk Super Bowl here, um, Charles. But first, COVID. I mean, I don't, I don't know whether you've seen um, the latest Sasha Baron Cohen movie, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not or, a huge, huge fan of Borat, but no, I, I before the you know at the end of the last break, um, you did play that scene from Borat where yeah. he pretends to be some sort of Kazakh, Kazakh, yeah. yeah, Kazakhstan uh, journalist. Um, well, I mean that that thing is hysterical. First of all, you know, as, as you said, it, it's an actual rally, uh-huh. okay, and everybody in the sparse audience is white, and of course they're carrying the usual the "Don't Tread on Me" flag and, and the, the and, and the the battle flag of the Confederacy. And they're carrying huge guns. Well, then there's one person standing there, one woman with a mask on. Okay, she's wearing an N95 outside. I don't get that. Okay, and what is Bill Belichick doing there? Although I know he's a big Trumper, but there's what, a person. Wait, Bill Chow- There's a person who looks just oh, like Bill that, Belichick. That's a coincidence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a coincidence. No. Okay. <laughs> he All is right. a big Trumper. Yeah, anyway. yeah, I know that. Yeah. Yes. As is Robert Kraft. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, of course. I mean, Kraft's got sure. a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean. We, we, we want to talk more about this next week, but sure. you know, COVID. Uh, you know, you know, Trump is really good about rewriting history. Well, politicians tend to do that generally, but uh, he's going to have to do some major rewriting of uh, of what happened with COVID under his watch uh, in order to kind of gloss over some of the obvious problems. But you know, I I, I think only in the sense that, and, and and as you said, we'll talk about this you know a little bit down the road. There's a tendency for people. Americans have a pretty short memory. And they tend to get pretty wistful for prior presidents, yeah. you know. And in the process of doing that, they forget about everything, pretty much, except what was the price of gas when they were president, right. you know. And um, yeah, I mean, so there's a certain number of people who have completely forgotten what 2020 was like, you know. And but for Trump, one advantage of Trump is he hasn't had to face the anti-vaxxers very much because the only real anti-vax candidate was DeSantis, you know, and DeSantis tried to call him out on this because remember Trump still talks about how he personally created the mRNA vaccines right. through, you know, whatever the, what was the operation. I can't remember what he called it anymore. It, it turned out, of course, that it had nothing to do with that, it, that Germans paid for the Pfizer vaccination. We didn't, yeah. but nevertheless, um, but you know he was touting. Well, he he was he was a big part of that. And DeSantis, of course, was you know was trying to appeal to the anti-vaxxer portion. It was an Operation Drink Clorox, was it? No, it was not. I mean, yeah, I mean those things. Forget about that. I mean, you know, <laughs> was it Clorox? What was it? it? You're supposed to inject Clorox. Inject, inject Clorox. Yeah, and yeah. then you know, maybe they could just do something you could like you know suck down as a, a vapor, you know, into your lungs. But nevertheless, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I mean, I people have forgotten, and you know. It was a horrible time, and that's part of the reason yeah. I think they forgot. So anyway, uh, people have also maybe forgotten the Super Bowl. It comes and goes pretty quick. It does. I mean, but, really, after it's over, I mean, yeah. who, who really cares? I mean, I didn't but get to start with. Looking at the stuff, I mean, it's uh, but the most watched event since the moon landing, mm-hmm. again, which may or may not have been a hoax. We don't know. We're still, <laughs> still, still debating that. Capricorn now. won, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. right, 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 right. Right. So, uh, and as far as we know, the Super Bowl was not a hoax, but... Um, but I mean the ad, the ads for this thing seven million a pop. Uh, I mean the Super Bowl last year seven million for thirty seconds. So yeah, seven million for thirty seconds. Mm-hmm. You know that's I, I, does that does that even include production costs? I yeah, think. but you know you could buy yourself a House of, uh, representative in the House of representatives for a lot less than you seven. Could buy million. several. Yeah, yeah, a couple, three. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And uh, again, one of the uh, one of the entities who advertised on the uh, Super Bowl. Um, Robert Kraft uh, paid for a very pro-Israel ad, mm-hmm. um, and he, he, him and his, his money and APAC's money is also going to support candidates who are, you know, pledging to um, do everything that he and the other uh, ap- apologies for ben- Benjamin Netanyahu want. They're, okay, but so what's your point? My point is that the uh, the Super Bowl ads weren't just about fast cars and beer. 
you had we had Robert F. Kennedy having an ad. Right. Yeah. I mean, he took a lot of heat for that because he replicated a ad, you know, from his uncle. You know, he JFK. takes a lot of heat for everything he says or does from his family. Well, because they. They hate what he's doing. I know, yeah, I know. <laughs> so, I know, I know. I know. So. Well, yeah, and Mary Trump but, hates what Donald Trump is doing. Right. I, I don't know. I don't know Hunter, Hunter Biden feels about Joe, about his dad, but I know I know the dog is not happy with it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But no, I mean, the, you know, here's uh, here's some um, incredible ads, uh, and not 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 just not just about stuff, but about about uh, about you know about uh, you know political ads. Yeah, well, and, because and, it's a um, huge audience. Yeah, but I the, mean that, that makes sense. I don't have a problem with that. I know, but but what I have a problem with is that is that this is an exclusive opportunity open to those with incredible amounts of money. Someone who can drop seven million for a pop. You know? Yeah, you know, wouldn't it be great to see Robert Kraft instead of spending seven million on a super fund ad, a Super Bowl ad, to actually spend some money trying to help, uh, you know, get get uh, humanitarian aid to people in Gaza? Well, how do you know he's not doing that? Uh, I, well, I mean, how do you know he's not supporting Doctors Without Borders? I mean, we don't know that. I, I think that that's I think, a pretty I think simplistic if, I think equation. if he was, we'd know. No, I, you know, I mean, there, there, there were people, there were Israelis who were involved with setting up industries in Gaza who were trying to move the Netanyahu government to understanding that that is the path, right? But, in fact, one of them, who's most prominent, his daughter was killed at that concert. In the October 7 attack? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it, it's 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 kind of like what we see here in the United States, oftentimes with miscarriages of justice, particularly involving people of color. You know, that it's hard to move to a position of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. You know, and it takes a lot of discipline to do that. So I, I don't, I don't, I don't have a problem. Everyone has a right to do whatever they want with their money. And if they, you know, last year was advertising those those Jesus ads. Yeah, you know, oh, I remember and, those. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so. You know that's fine. I, I yeah. Well, I mean the the other thing about it is the the uh, you know here well, I I don't uh, Paramount Global. Now they were bought by uh, they were they were a merger what through through Viacom and CBS. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're what one of the are they the largest media corporation in the world now? Close to it, I would think. But they're they were they were they were the entity behind you know broadcasting the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And um, interestingly, uh, as, uh, as one of our state representatives pointed out, J.D. Shulton, uh, right after the uh, Super Bowl, again, the most watched event since the moon landing, uh, they fire, what, they lay off 800 employees? Right. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, the argument always is it's, uh, it's part of our path toward earnings growth. And how, 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 what, how do they get away with this? I mean, I don't think they'd get away with it if there was more competition. If we didn't see these mergers that made these huge corporations that were basically unaccountable. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of things that play into that. Um, you know, the first is that the acceptance, you know, the Milton Friedman School of Economics, which is that the only purpose of a corporation is to maximize shareholder you know, profits. And because the officers of the corporations have become very prominent shareholders mm-hmm. and their remuneration is more yeah. based on the stock price than the actual money that's generated to, you know, foster the corporation's survival. I'm going to say that goes back to what we were talking about earlier, why Americans are mean. Yeah, but absolutely. That, that very structure right there, that is that embodies meanness. Right, and that's essentially what like, you know, when the UAW struck the 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 big three here in the United States, that was their argument. You know, they always give up so that the corporation will survive through bad times. But in good times, the corporation doesn't want to give up any of the profits. They don't mm-hmm. want to share any of the profits. Yeah, right, because it's too important. It's more important to buy, to buy back shares of stock. Yeah, and to make the options that the you know executives own more valuable. It's about quote earnings growth. Right. You know? So yeah, I it I, used to be about maintaining <clears throat> the corporation's viability. Now right. it's about earnings growth. So even That's if correct. you have to, even if you have to shut the corporation down, as long as you're growing the the shareholders' uh, wealth on, on, on route to doing that, that's okay. Well, but you know, it's funny. It, 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 here again, getting back to the idea of keeping score. Mm-hmm. Um, can you remember when it started that the presidents all this, you know spent all this time telling us how great the stock market was as some sort of measure of their performance? 
You know, I, you see, I don't think I think it's fairly recent. It's fairly recent, yeah. and because what happened is that since pensions, you know, since defined benefit pensions don't exist for the most part anymore, right? And the only thing you have are accounts like four hundred one ks and and accounts that you know have to appreciate outside of the corporation. All of a sudden, the stock market is something that everybody is concerned with, right? Which used to be, and still is, it's just a plaything of people with a lot of money. Yeah. Right? And it's... And it, it's a form of gambling. It's just a form of gambling. It's illegal. Yeah, exactly. Legalized casino, which, of course, that's what all sports are now, too. But, um, <laughs> you know... At it, least sports still have something interesting going on. No, but the thing is, is, is the fact that now you watch sports and 90% of the other ads are, that aren't political ads are about, you know, casinos. Uh, you know, online casinos or, you know. So it's it's just this idea that it's just they've sucked in people who normally would be against all this because now their viability, their financial viability is tied to these same corporations continuing to improve their earnings hmm. because they are owning stocks. Through what their percentage of funds. Americans actually own stock? Well, I mean, directly, probably less than a third. Indirectly, that much? Yes. Indirectly, but that could be a, a minor amount of stocks. Okay. You know, we're not talking about it. Most people only have, I think, the, the vast majority of Americans have less than $25,000 put away for retirement outside of Social Security <laughs> and maybe a 401k, mm-hmm. you know. But, um, but indirectly through their, you know, large pension funds, you know, like the teachers unions and the cops and stuff, you know, where they... They have a huge investment in the market because most of what those pension funds own are equities of some sort, you know, and that's how the people have been co-opted into this. Charles, we got to run to a break. Uh, Appreciate you joining me today, folks. Charles Goldman's been uh, in the studio with me. This is Ed Fallon. We got to take a short break. When we do come back, Kathy Burns is with me. We're going to be talking about fruit trees and maybe the five, you know, the five top ones that you might be considering if you're just starting to get into fruit trees. So, Charles, pay attention. Where the pomegranates grow? <laughs> Where the pomegranates? They grow in your backyard. Anyway. Do they grow on the tree? Yeah. Yeah. Back in a minute, folks, on the Fallon Forum. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Clipsham asks that you use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. Examples of Mark's work can be found at architecturebysynthesis.com. That's architecturebysynthesis.com. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures, great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Hey, thanks to all of our sponsors and partners, including Gateway Marketing Cafe, Central Iowa's premier good food store, bringing together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate, personalized service. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, check out Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to psychiatrist Dr. David Drake. Wherever you live in Iowa, Dr. Drake can help through the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling offered on a self-pay and negotiated fee basis. Contact Dr. David Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. Hey, Kathy, welcome to the program. We're talking trees today, and um, before we talk about maybe what should be the top five considerations in the upper Midwest at any rate, mm-hmm. what are some preliminary concerns that people should be thinking about? Well, if people are not into growing trees already, um, they might want to give more thought to the kind of tree they pick, and this has uh, several facets to it. They want to think about the size of the tree, the kind of space they have for the tree, and of course, what variety they choose. And okay, regarding size, a lot mm-hmm. of people are preferring dwarf trees because they tend to have less space available. 
I think that's a good choice for a beginner because yeah. it's easily pruned. Yeah. It's easily harvested. And you're more motivated to continue to, to care for your tree if you're able to harvest and use the fruit from it. Yeah, your apples aren't going to be 20 feet up in the air. Mm-hmm. They right. also come in semi-dwarf. Uh, the full varieties are pretty and they're uh you know they produce a lot but they are just really hard to yeah to uh, harvest some of the other uh, considerations regarding what you buy too are relevant to you know what kind of uh, sun you've got as well right uh, most fruit trees do need full sun and they need some well-drained soil and look at the variety you're considering and make sure you're aware of the special needs of soil and sun that they might come with also, look at your space where you're going to plant and make sure there's no competition for resources f- with that tree. For instance, an elm tree can suck most of the moisture mm. out of the ground because it's a, it's a big drinker. Um, a <laughs> walnut tree is going to overhang and drip a, a kind of a toxin. And yeah, juggalone. Juggalone. Yeah, it's and, a great name um, for a toxin. It can keep other trees from growing well. Also, a tree called the Tree of Heaven, and I give it another name, the opposite. Tree from Hell. Tree from Hell. (laughs) uh, Masses roots and doesn't let you grow anything in it. Um, Also, you need to know uh, whether you need to buy one or two trees. They don't all self-pollinate. Sure. So the last of the considerations before you decide what exact uh, type of tree you want, just... um, not all fruits are easy to harvest, prepare, preserve. You want to be more motivated to nurture this tree. And so choose something that you're going to use. Yeah. Choose something that you, you have to know if you're going to eat it fresh, if you're going to eat it baked in a pie, yum, or if you're going to make a, a, a jam or something out of it. So decide what you're going to use it for before you choose the And that's tree. why I was surprised that the city of Des Moines recently decided to add fruit trees to its list of a tree trees available. And the one it chose was... <laughs> Persimmon. persimmon. I mean, cute. nothing against persimmon, but I've never used it. I, I, it, it might be used by quite a few folks, but I've anyway. It's odd. I would say apple would be a top choice. Apple, yeah, <laughs> I think apple is the top choice. And look up on uh, probably your extension website, uh, your state extension, to see what varieties they recommend. And uh, apple is a top choice because it has many ways to be used and it's easy to store and preserve. And they're big fruits. Big fruits. <laughs> they're fun. Bite right in it. Cherries are very popular. Um, they are a stone fruit, so they do require a winter chill for good fruit development. That was part of what makes them good for the Midwest. Um, pear trees stand yeah. up really well in the Midwest. Uh, we have a lot of, we have big temperature changes, and they do well with that. One thing I've noticed with pear trees and other trees, too, is that they, they often don't have real long lifespans. So, you know, you have to be, if you're, if you're planning to eat for the long haul, you need to think about, okay, so this tree is, you know, it's 15, 20 years old. Mm-hmm. I should probably start planting the next generation. That's not the, a bad idea, but they say pear trees are actually pretty long-lived, and I really? have, I've had them I guess maybe, a long time. I guess maybe the ones I'm familiar with nearby have all died. Well, also, <laughs> pears develop on the second year's growth, so just be aware of that when, you, uh, when, you're, mm. when you're ready to prune. And I, I threw in fig tree because I think that's, that's a, something yeah. that people like to use. They don't consider it as a Midwest thing. Yeah, you never see fig trees going in there is a There's a variety called the Chicago Hardy, and it's supposed to be hmm. uh, cold tolerant. So I would check into that. And uh, peach trees, too, oh, because favorite. they're so good. And a lot of people think, oh, you can only grow them in Georgia. But uh, they there are varieties that are tolerant in Midwest. And we're not talking about the... Uh, Iowa white native tree that uh, that a lot of people are familiar with the little Small. the little ones that are hard to peel yeah. and such. These are big, nice yellow peaches. So yeah. look into pear trees. Yeah, th- those are peach trees. Peach trees. Yeah. Thank those, you. Those, to me, um, you know, and I hate to say this in a way, but I think climate change is going to make it easier to grow peach trees in Iowa. It's <laughs> it is it is getting it's already easier. Our uh, zone has changed. Uh, about 30% in the past uh Yeah, I ought to check out decades. the there's a really uh, good map worth checking out about the um about that. Yeah. As we roll out here, I'm going to take us back to the beginning of the show when we talked about uh, shark, uh sharks attacking poor Charles and um bigger concern, Joe Biden's dog. Anyway, uh thanks to our production team of Sherry Herdina, Forrest Detterman, Charles, myself, Ed Fallon, and Kathy Burns. 
Thanks also to our local small business partners, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Western Optometry, and David Drake Family Psychiatry. Thanks also to our nonprofit partners, Catholic Peace Ministry, Iowa Physicians for Social Responsibility, Bold Iowa, and Birds and Bees Urban Farm. And thanks to the Des Moines Irish Session. We'll be back next week with another hour of cutting edge talk radio. Watch that dog. That dog is mad. He's still hanging on.